0: Good morning, Plum Creek. It's great to see those images from Kenya. When I went to Nairobi in 2017, I was so impressed by the work of Missions of Hope. And it's been great to see so many of you sponsoring a child in Kenya. God really is using us to make a difference around the world. You know, our church partners with 10 global missions. And they're all doing great work in places like India, Guatemala, Australia and Nepal. All of our mission partners are out there sharing God's love and leading people to Jesus. And if you're not familiar with our global mission partnerships, I encourage you to go out to the display in the gathering area and pick up the brochure that gives you an overview. Well, I have to say, this is an exciting time to be a part of Plum Creek. If you were here last week, you know that we have presented plans for a new building This building would be an addition, it would be a home for several ministries like our sharing center and our student ministry. And last Sunday, we asked the congregation to cast a ballot of approval for this plan. And this is very important. Our bylaws state that in order to move forward with any major building project, we need the approval of two-thirds of our active members Now, we had over 300 people vote last week, and that was really encouraging. Uh, But we want to make sure everyone has the chance to let your voice be heard. So if you weren't here last Sunday, you can still go out uh, at the Information Center and cast your ballot today. And then next Sunday, November 24th, we will announce the final results of the vote. Like I said, this is an exciting time around here. I can't wait to see what God is going to do through Plum Creek as we move into the future. But I'm also excited about this morning's sermon. We're continuing in our series called The Gospel, which is a journey through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And right now, we're taking a few weeks to look at a few stories where uh, Jesus proves that he is no ordinary man. Last week, we read a great story in the Gospel of Mark. It was about this paralyzed man who was brought to Jesus by four of his friends. And these friends carried the man on a map to a house where Jesus was preaching. But when the house was too crowded for them to get inside, these four friends dug a hole in the roof and lowered the man down in front of Jesus. And if you were here last week, you remember what happened, right? Right? Jesus not only healed the man of his paralysis, he also forgave the man's sins. And the religious leaders were furious about this. In their minds, this was an outrage because only God has the authority to forgive sins. But that's exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying, that's right. My power to heal is evidence that I do have the authority to forgive sins. In other words... Jesus is no ordinary man. He's the man who is also God. Now, you could think of today's sermon as kind of a sequel to last week. We're going to jump back into the Gospel of Mark and pick up right where we left off. And as we're about to see, Jesus continues to have all kinds of trouble with these religious leaders who are known as the Pharisees. But before we get into this passage, I want to be honest with you. As I worked on this message over the past week, I kind of struggled a little bit. You see, I love the story we looked at last Sunday. It's very straightforward, and the point is very clear. Jesus has the power to heal and the authority to forgive. It's also fairly easy to apply that story to our lives. Those four friends of the paralyzed man give us a great example to follow. They were willing to wreck the roof to bring their friend to Jesus. And just like them, we need to wreck the roof to bring our friends and our family to Jesus. And by the way, with that goal in mind, we gave out these special bags last Sunday. This is the invite your one toolkit. And if you didn't get one of these last week, I hope you'll pick one up today. They're on tables at both doors on your way out. And the basic idea of this toolkit is that we all have at least one one. And if you don't know what I mean by that, your one is just somebody you know who may need a relationship with Jesus. And inside this bag, you'll find several resources that can help all of us take the simple step of inviting your one to church, especially for the start of our Christmas series on December 8th. So anyway, that was last week. We had a straightforward story with a clear application. But today, things aren't quite so simple. This passage is a little more nuanced, and the application is more difficult. In Mark chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus confronts the issue of legalism, which is still very relevant today. And as we read through this passage, Jesus will do what he always does. He will challenge our assumptions, and he'll give us a new perspective that you can't find anywhere else. So let's dive into the Gospel of Mark. We'll start with verse 13 of chapter 2. And remember, this is right after the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. So here we go, Mark 2 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And by the way, you may know this Levi by another name. He was also called Matthew. And Jesus told him, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, every step of the way, Jesus said things and did things that were completely unexpected. This story is a perfect example. As Jesus builds his ministry team, his group of disciples, who does he go after? Does he look for the well-known spiritual all-stars? Does he go after prospects with experience and a proven ability as preachers and teachers? No, not at all. In this case, Jesus calls a tax collector to follow him. Just about everybody thought of tax collectors as notorious liars and cheaters and sinners. And this is what was so strange to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were respected religious leaders. There's no way they would associate with people like Matthew. But Jesus was different. He was more than happy to kick back and hang out with the sinners. He actually seemed to like them. So the Pharisees go to the disciples of Jesus and they ask, why does he do that? Does he realize the message he's sending here? He's giving the impression that these people are okay. But they are clearly not okay. And Jesus overhears the Pharisees and he gives them this great quote. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus is all about helping people who are spiritually sick. He didn't come into this world for righteous people. He came for sinners. He came for all of us who made the bad decision to go against God's plan for our lives. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and to bring all of us back home to God. So let's think about this quote. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. How should we respond to that statement from Jesus? How should anybody respond? Well, it doesn't matter who you are. There's only one appropriate response, and that's to say, I am one of the sick. That was true of Matthew, the tax collector. That was true of everybody at that dinner with Jesus. But it was also true of the Pharisees. And it's true of you. And it's true of me. All of us have this spiritual sickness, this tendency to choose our will instead of God's will. But there's a big problem here. Not everyone is willing to admit that they are spiritually sick. The Pharisees are exhibit A. Back in the first century, the Pharisees thought they knew exactly how to please God. If you want to be acceptable in God's eyes, just obey His laws, all of His laws. You know, there's a name for that mindset. The Pharisees operated with a mindset of legalism, which is depending on your obedience to save you. And legalism is the opposite of admitting that you're one of the sick, It's buying into this lie that you can do enough to earn God's approval. But now, before we jump all over the Pharisees, let's remember where they got that idea. They got that idea from the Bible, from what we would call the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, people related to God under the law system. God gave his law to Israel, his chosen people. And they were expected to follow that law best they possibly could. Unfortunately, if you're familiar with Israel's track record, you know they were terrible at obeying God's law. But it's not just them. Everyone in history has been terrible at obeying God's law. And why? It's because of that spiritual sickness. So then why did God establish the law system? Why did he ask us to do what we're not able to do? Isn't that unfair? Well, there are two things we should know about the law. Number one, God gave the law for our own good. If you follow his law, the the closer you get to following his law, the, the more you'll be blessed. Number two, the law system was important because it revealed our need for a Savior. We can't save ourselves. We'll never be good enough. And that's why Jesus came. He made it possible for us to be good enough. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, we can have forgiveness and a restored relationship with God. But you can't receive this gift from Jesus until you acknowledge the hard truth. I am one of the sick. And Like I said, the Pharisees weren't about to admit that. And that's the difference between the Pharisees and these so-called sinners. In many cases, the sinners didn't hesitate to admit that they were spiritually sick. And that's why Jesus could often make more progress with them. Now today, it's easy for us to look down on the Pharisees. But the truth is, legalism is still alive and well in our world. In fact, many Christians are quite tempted to approach Christianity from a legalistic perspective. And why would that be? Well, I believe there are several reasons. Some of us are attracted to legalism because we want to feel better than. That was definitely true of the Pharisees. They looked down at those dinner companions of Jesus. They saw themselves at a higher level. We're up here and those sinners are way down there. And nobody wants to admit this, but we often do the same thing. We'll have this attitude like, yes, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm better than that guy over there. At least I'm better than that group that does those things. You'd never catch me doing that. And then somehow we feel like God should be at least a little impressed with us because we don't participate in what we consider the bad sins. So that's one reason why we might feel the pull toward legalism, but it's not the only reason. Some of us are attracted to legalism because we just want clarity. This world is full of moral ambiguity, and we want someone to lay things out for us in black and white. Just show me what I've got to do so I can know that I'm okay. You know, I grew up in a home where the rules were very clear. My dad was a preacher, and my brother and I had lots of guidelines about what was right and what was wrong. I'll give you an example. When it came to watching TV, we had a rule about cursing. It was the three strikes rule. The third time someone swears, you have to change the channel. Now, the hard part was some of our favorite shows just destroyed that three strikes rule. One of the shows we loved to watch was called Airwolf. It was about this insanely cool helicopter with missiles and guns and all kinds of powerful weapons. At some point in every episode, Airwolf shows up and completely blows the bad guys into oblivion. Lots of explosions on that show. There was also a fair bit of cussing, and I can remember sitting there when the count was at two, thinking, please don't say it, please don't say it. Ah, why'd you have to say it? Now at the time, I didn't always like my dad's rules, but at least they were clear. A TV show with less than three cuss words is okay. But any more than that, and no, it's unacceptable. Now, that's pretty black and white, isn't it? And you know, even today, I'll have these moments where I am tempted to get a little legalistic. Here's a current example. Like my dad before me, I am a preacher. And as a preacher, um, I have this belief. Uh, I think that Followers of Jesus should make it a priority to be at church every week. After all, that's what I grew up with. Our family was at church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. Even when we were on vacation, we still went to church. Now today, I do see the benefit of coming together to worship God every week. I also see the negative consequences of skipping church on a regular basis. So there's a part of me that would love to give you a clear standard. I would love to say, according to this verse, you are not allowed to have an unexcused absence from church more than 10 Sundays per year, or five, or two. But guess what? That verse is not in the Bible. Instead, we get a verse like Hebrews 10.25, which says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So that's a great principle for every follower of Jesus, but that principle inevitably leads us to ask this question. So what's the definition of neglect? How many weeks can I miss and still be okay? And that very question is an example of one more reason that we're attracted to legalism. Some of us are attracted to legalism because we want to feel safe. If I can have those clear guidelines, maybe I can quiet that nagging feeling, the feeling that I'm still not good enough. This is the attitude that says, God, do you see what I'm doing down here? Do you see me? I'm going to church. I'm reading the Bible. I'm trying to help people. I'm doing as much as I can to do good, to be good. Isn't that enough? But there's no peace in that mindset, there's no freedom. Because if we assume that God owes us something because of our performance, how can we know if our performance is good enough? Well, here's the truth. Our performance is never good enough. We may be forgiven because we've given our lives to Jesus, and we can make progress because of the Holy Spirit, but as long as we're in this world, we'll never live up to God's perfect standard because we haven't quite shaken that spiritual sickness. So these legalistic tendencies are still very common, but Jesus confronts those tendencies head on. Let's go down to Mark 2, verse 23. This controversy is about to get even more heated. Verse 23 says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are upset again. And according to them, this offense is worse than eating with sinners. The disciples are breaking the Sabbath, and Jesus is allowing it. Now, from where we sit today, this may not seem like a very big deal, but the Jews were very, very serious about observing the Sabbath. This practice had roots that went all the way back to creation. God created the world in six days, and then what happened on the seventh day? He rested. Of course, God didn't need to rest because He doesn't get tired. But that day of rest was an example for us to follow. And centuries later, this expectation was spelled out clearly in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, the fourth commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Sabbath day was set aside for rest and for worship. And that may seem like a simple idea, but in practice, things got complicated. The Jews were saying, Okay, so we're not supposed to work on Saturday, but what exactly do you mean by work? And from that point, the Jewish teachers of the law went to town. They got very specific about what was and what was not work. Eventually, the Jewish Talmud laid down some pretty specific guidelines. The Talmud identifies 39 activities that are prohibited on the Sabbath. This list includes lighting a fire, Putting out a fire, striking something with a hammer, planting, plowing, reaping, threshing, baking, washing, and so on and so on. Now today, many Jewish people still try to follow these strict rules. For example, in Israel and several other places where you find a large Jewish population, you may find something called a Shabbat elevator. If you look at the picture that we have here, you can see where the elevator can be switched into Sabbath mode. Do You know what happens when you turn that switch on? In Sabbath mode, the elevator automatically stops at every floor on the way up and on the way back down. And you know why? Because pushing a button is considered work. I'm telling you, this commitment to observe the Sabbath is very serious. But when the Pharisees get angry with Jesus here, they're not pointing to some law that was written in the Old Testament. Their complaint was based on the oral law, the rabbinical teachings that got more specific about the definition of work. According to oral law, the disciples were reaping because they were picking grain. They were also threshing because they were rubbing the heads of the grain. And the way the Pharisees interpreted the Bible If you break the Sabbath, you deserve to be stoned to death. And that's why they found this violation so infuriating. But did you notice how Jesus answers the Pharisees? It's very interesting. Jesus does not say that the Sabbath is outdated and obsolete. Jesus also doesn't deny that they broke the rules. Instead, he brings up this old story about David, the greatest king that Israel ever had. And in this story, David and his men were fleeing from King Saul, and they were very hungry. They came to the tabernacle, and they asked the priest for food, but the only food available was this bread that was set aside for the priests to eat. And because of the rules, David and his men should not be allowed to eat that bread, but they ate it anyway. And Jesus is saying that what David did was okay, but why was it okay? Two reasons. First, you can't put religious rituals above human need. And second, David is not just anybody. He's the king of Israel, anointed by God for a special purpose. And because of that role, David had the right and the authority to eat the bread. And both of those two points apply to this situation with Jesus. First, Jesus says, when there is a human need, I won't be bound by your ridiculous traditions. The Sabbath was meant to be a blessing, not a burden. And furthermore, he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I have every right to make the rules here. And do you see why that statement would send the Pharisees into a fit of rage? It's similar to what we talked about last week in that encounter with the paralyzed man. Jesus declared that he had the authority to forgive sins. Only God can do that. And now Jesus declares that he has the authority to make the rules about the Sabbath. But only God can do that. And Jesus is like, my point exactly. So what do we do with this? What does this story mean for us? Like I said earlier, the application here is a little more difficult. But I'll tell you what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't come away from this passage thinking, well, I guess those Old Testament laws don't matter anymore. We can just throw them out. No, when you read Mark chapter 2, you should also read Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what does that mean? How do we put all of this together? Well, here's the answer. Jesus did not come to do away with the law, but he did come to do away with the system of legalism. See, the Pharisees focused on the letter of the law, but they missed the spirit of the law. And why did they do that? Why were they so attached to this legalism? Well, we know why, don't we? The Pharisees focused on the letter of the law because it made them feel better then. It gave them clarity. It made them feel safe. And Jesus understands that the Pharisees still don't get it, so he goes on the offensive. In this last controversy, Jesus takes the initiative. Let's keep reading Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. At this point, the Pharisees have crossed the line. Before this, the game plan was just to keep an eye on Jesus, keep him contained. But now the game has changed. Jesus has become so dangerous, so incendiary, the Pharisees are ready to commit murder. Now, obviously, this has been building up for a while, When Jesus heals this man with the withered hand, it's the culmination of five controversies between Jesus and the Pharisees. And it's so sad because with all five of these incidents, the Pharisees had the opportunity to learn from Jesus, to listen, to become disciples themselves. But each time, they reject him. Why were they so stubborn? Well, here's what I see. For the Pharisees to accept Jesus... They had to humble themselves. They had to adopt a completely new way of thinking. And they had to let go of something that was very near and dear to their hearts. That old legalism. They just didn't want to do it. But the truth is, nobody comes to Jesus without letting go of something. All of us have to let go of some old way of thinking. And it's not always legalism. Sometimes it's the mindset that says, I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody. Or maybe it's the mindset that says, I'm in charge of my own life and nobody else gets to call the shots except me. Following Jesus always involves surrender. He calls everyone to lay down some old mindset, some old way of life. And the Pharisees just weren't open to that kind of surrender. But we can still learn from them today. When we look at the example of the Pharisees, Jesus leads us to three truths. Here's the first one. Legalism is harmful, both to ourselves and to others. When Jesus healed that man's hand, he made it very clear that the rules and traditions of the Jews had become ludicrous. According to the oral law, you are not allowed to give someone medical attention on the Sabbath unless you're saving that person's life. If they busted their head open and they're bleeding to death, you can deal with it. But if it's just a flesh wound or a withered hand, absolutely not. And Jesus says, are you serious? If I can help this man and I refuse to do it, that would be evil. But breaking your idiotic rule is definitely not evil. In my own life, I have personally witnessed the damage that can come from legalism. Years ago, I was on a mission trip in Haiti. I was in a community of extreme poverty. And on that trip, I became friends with a young man who was probably high school age. He was a great kid. I really enjoyed talking to him. But one day, I asked this young man if he was coming to church on Sunday, and he said, no, I can't go to church. I'd like to, but I'm not allowed. And I said, What are you talking about? Why not? And he told me, I don't have any shoes. I only have sandals. And if you don't have real shoes, they don't let you in at church. That made me so angry and sad at the same time. So we went down to the market, bought that brother some shoes, and he got to go to church. It is absolutely true that legalism and human rules can keep people from God. And the church needs to be very careful that we don't put unnecessary barriers in the way of people coming to Jesus. There's another truth that we can learn from Jesus. In the place of legalism, Jesus established the system of grace. That old law system never worked. No one gets to God by following the law system. We could never be good enough. So we have to let go of legalism and embrace this new system of grace That's what Jesus established. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives a great summary of this system. Paul writes, For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you see how grace is diametrically opposed to legalism? You can't do this yourself. You can't be good enough on your own. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for your sins. And when you accept that sacrifice and you give your life to him, your sins are transferred over to Jesus and his goodness is transferred over to you. That's what makes you good enough in God's eyes. That's where your peace and your safety comes from. You can't get that from feeling better than others because you're not better. I'm not either. The only good in me is Christ in me. But let's look at one last truth that we can learn from Jesus. When we move away from legalism, we have to be sure that we don't go to the other extreme. The other extreme says, okay, since I'm saved by grace, I guess I can do whatever I want. God will forgive me. Yeehaw. But let's be clear, that's not what this system is about the system of grace is not an excuse to ignore God's commands. God calls us to love him and to love others, and those commands are still very much in effect. I just read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but we should read the next verse. Ephesians 2:10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is why we were made, to do good, to bring glory to God by following His commands. You see, the Ten Commandments are not obsolete. They give us a standard that still applies today. Commandments 1 through 4 are about loving God with all of our hearts. Commandments 5 through 10 are about loving our neighbor as ourselves. But here's where we can get confused about grace. We think, well, if I'm trying really hard to follow God's law, doesn't that take me right back to legalism? Actually, no. And here's why. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. That's a great quote from Dallas Willard. So as followers of Jesus, should we work hard to obey God's laws? Absolutely. But isn't that legalism? Absolutely not. The difference is our motivation. With legalism, We obey because we're trying to earn God's approval by our own effort. But with grace, we obey out of love and gratitude for what Jesus has done. It reminds me of what I said earlier about attending church. Why should I make it a priority to be at church every Sunday? Is it because I'm trying to earn my salvation or keep my salvation? Is it a way to get brownie points from God? Of course not. So why do I come to church? It's because I treasure this opportunity to come together and give God the praise and honor that he deserves. It's because I want to study his word and be transformed by the Holy Spirit. It's because I need encouragement from my brothers and sisters, and they also need me. It's because I love my own children, and I want them to know that God is more important than anything else in our lives. In other words, it's not about obligation. It's about love. And it's not about rules. It's about freedom. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. How he always challenges our assumptions. Gives us a different perspective that we can't find anywhere else. And Lord, I I thank you for... uh, this teaching that relating to you is not about legalism. That, that would never work. But you know that we're still drawn to that. We want, we want things to be clear. We want to feel safe. But Lord, help us to understand the gospel, not just intellectually, but in our hearts. Help us to know that the way to be sure about salvation is by trusting in the work of Jesus. And Lord, for anyone who has not yet received that gift of grace through Jesus, I pray that you will call to them, help them to know that you offer that and they can receive it. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.